Hello creatives, Jay here, and you are listening to episode 16 of 99% Perspiration. This is a weekly podcast bringing you interviews and advice with today's creative and artistic professionals so that you can get the confidence and the know-how to turn your creative calling into a career. On episode 16 of 99% Perspiration. It's hard for everyone and it's supposed to be hard. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that you're not cut out for it and you can't do it. The whole life, I would say, is all about um, just overcoming those barriers. And most of those barriers are the ones that we put in our own way. Laura Lucas is a leadership and business coach and runs Inspirential. Laura is also about to launch a seven-day course for graphic designers and how to make the most of your marketing and strategy on the app Periscope in a couple weeks' time. Actually, writing the words on the page is probably the smallest part of the job of being a writer. It's, it's the, the thinking about it and then all the other stuff that comes with it uh, takes up all of your time. I think about my characters all the time. I'm sort of sat on the metro going to work and I'm thinking, what's this character doing? What, what's that character doing? What would they do in this situation? And blatantly stealing off someone who sat on the metro and think, oh, that could be my character. And that's Alan Parkinson. He's a part-time self-published novel writer living in Sunderland and manages to find time to do that around having a full-time job. He's released his first novel a few years ago and is about to release his second in a few months' time. We're going to be finding out about Alan's journey and about the tips and tricks of making self-publishing work for you. As ever, you can find us on Twitter at 99podcast, via the website 99podcast.com, and also on Facebook if you search for 99% Perspiration. So how did the name come about? It's funny, when you're trying to think about this as you've got to come up with something that reflects who you are, but it's also got to be unique. And to be honest, all the good domain names are gone, and that's where I got the idea of mashing two words together. And it just it kind of it rolls off the tongue quite nicely, Inspirential, I like to say it. I love the name Inspirential. It's a great mashup of inspirational and living up to your full potential. I'm Laura Lucas. My business is Inspirential. You can find me at inspirential.com. So my business is um, a coaching and training company focused on leadership coaching and uh, small business growth coaching. Um, so leadership tends to be more in corporate environments with people who manage teams or departments. And small businesses, what I've found recently is I really enjoy working with people in creative industries. Um, so, for example, graphic designers, web designers, jewelry designers, hairdressers. What I've found is that my skills are really complementary to people who work uh, in these creative industries, particularly those who pitch to people who have a business or commercial interest. It's often people coming from a creative background don't feel as comfortable um, when they're working in more of a business-focused background because it's just not the background that they've come from. Um, and I can help them just feel more comfortable in that environment and be themselves in that environment. A lot of creative people, you know, they've got all this wonderful creative genius and they often feel like they've got to fit into this corporate world um, and they kind of leave their creative genius at the door when it comes to pitching and, and trying to get clients on board. And, and that's sometimes why they struggle. And I help them to be themselves, bring their creative genius into the business side of their work and be more uh, successful that way. So I wanted to ask Laura more about what online resources she would recommend for creative types. Loads 
actually. Well, the content market and academy on Facebook that we're both involved in is a brilliant resource. And it's a great place to get ideas for how you can benefit your ideal client and how you can get in the mind of your ideal client. I've also I've done a lot of training myself around copywriting. And copywriting has been a great way to get inside the head of my ideal client. Um, so it's not just benefited my copy, it's benefited my whole business and the solutions that I provide for people. And I've done copywriting training with a lady called Sandy Krakowski in America. You can find her on Facebook or her website is arealchange.com. And she does a lot of social media training now. I think she still does a little bit on copywriting. She does really good social media training. But what's great about it is about getting inside the heads of people that you want to influence. I think she does that really well, more so than even just teaching you the, the sort of technical elements of social media. So that's another good one. And this morning, I, I was just recommending to a client podcast, like uh, the Tim Ferriss show. I don't know if you listen to that one, Jay. Admittedly, I haven't yet, but that podcast is definitely on my list now. There's a lot of podcasts I should be listening to. And that name again, it's Tim Ferriss, the author of The 4-Hour Workweek. I've read a couple of chapters of that book and I'd recommend it. It's it's interesting. I don't know if I'll ever be able to work four hours a week and make it work as professionally as he has, but um, it's definitely a book that a lot of creative types have recommended. But what I also like about Tim's show is he gets great people on the show, um, you know, people who are really big and successful. The guy that funded Twitter was one that I listened to recently and uh, one of the first 30 employees in Facebook. And what he talks to him about is, all the little things that they do that make them successful. So it's great ways of getting different tips from different people and there's, you always learn something of it. Trust your own instincts. Um, yes, learn from different people and experts and absolutely don't reinvent the wheel. Learn what best practices. But um, only you know your business and, and where you want it to go. And actually, you do know. You really do know. And anyone listening to this, I would say, trust me on this. You know the answers already, so go and get all the information, but when it comes to making a decision, um, trust your own instinct. For a lot of creative people, they, they often have really what's a God-given talent, if you like. Um, they're very sort of innately proud of that talent and very much identify with it, but sometimes because it's, uh, it's almost a natural talent and it comes easy to them, they don't recognize value in it. You know, and, and they're a bit, um, I suppose, self-deprecating about it might be the word. Um, so not recognising that value and not recognising that actually they've got a real unique value to bring. And the people there who are engaging with that, it's something that they can't do. And hence, it's really valuable to them. So it's really about understanding what, what is that value that you add for people? What does their time cost? What do they normally um, charge for, for the time that they spend? And helping your clients see it as a financial value. So it's nice to be able to save time, but most people are much more connected to being able to save money. And it's about getting uh, your clients in the mindset that what you're doing actually has a financial value attached to it. Um, and what I get a lot of my clients to do is get the clients to do that piece of work and actually ask them, okay, so this job that I'm, I'm pitching to you to do, if I were to do that job for you, what is their time worth? And also, what is it that they're going to do with that time that they save? And from that activity, whatever it is they do with the time they save, how much money do 
the earn from that as well. So there's a couple of ways um, of linking it to, to money. If you can actually ask them, what would that actually be worth to you in terms of a monetary value? And when I first talk to clients about this, they think, oh, that's a funny question. No one's going to have an answer to that question. But I always challenge them, ask the question and leave a silence and they will answer the question. And I've never yet had a client turn around and say they didn't answer my question about value. So everybody really knows the value of what it is that you do. And sometimes it's a real eye-opener from a client to recognize the financial value that they're adding compared to what they're actually charging for it. And when you get the client to do the work, usually the client gets a little bit carried away, and I, I get my clients who are pitching to rein them in and be quite conservative about the amount of value they're going to add by delivering this service. And I often say to my clients, your time is not worth anything to anyone. My time's not worth anything to anyone. But the result I deliver can be worth money, it can be worth peace of mind, it can be worth freedom from those negative thoughts in your head. So there's huge value in what I deliver there's no value in my time. I encourage people to get away from sort of charging by the hour and more about charging for the solution and for the value that you're going to bring from that solution. So, for example, particularly when I work with corporate clients and business owners, their time's at a real premium. And I used to, to always feel like, oh, I have to give them a lot of my time. But actually, I wasn't giving them my time. I was taking up their time. And what I now do is I spend as little time as I can to get the effect that I need with my clients. And then I go away and do a little legwork for them. So, for example, I used to do a one-day planning workshop with my clients. But I've now got it down to a half-day, really intensive. Um, and I work with the clients to get their vision out, get it all on flip charts, and then we prioritise it and we break it down into simple manageable steps. And then I go away and pull all that messy flip chart and everything into a plan for them in the other half of that day. And I used to think, oh, you know, I, I can't charge them that much because I'm not spending that much time with them. But actually, I was giving them half a day as well as giving them the full done-for-you solution and they didn't have to spend as much time and energy on it. What I see with working with people from all sorts of different fields is that they really do all have the same problems. But the one thing they all do is we think that our problems unique to us. And that in itself is isolating. But if you can just recognize that actually this problem's not unique to you, it's a problem everyone faces. We all struggle with that fear of putting our work out there and fear of rejection and fear of trying to do something bigger and better than we've done before. I think for creative people, it, it seems to be more personal. But it's not that much more personal, to be honest, than, than people who are in business or people who are trying to deck up as leaders in business. It's very personal. I, I think it, it's just to, to nurture that talent and, and try and keep confident in your, your own talent and know that it's hard for everyone and it's supposed to be hard. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that you're not cut out for it and you can't do it. The whole life, I would say, is all about um, just overcoming those barriers, and most of those barriers are the ones that we put in our own way. I'm just in the process of um, really niching down in that business and targeting creative business owners. I suppose the first time I'm really 
going out there and saying that I work with creative people is I've, I've created a, a little piece for graphic designers. I've done quite a bit with graphic and web designers, and particularly creatives who work business, business to business. Most of it would apply to most business owners, actually. And what I've done is I've created a seven-day training, and I'm going to be delivering that through the Periscope app in the next week or so. So it'll be um, a 45-minute training each day for seven days. And what it's going to take people through is identifying who your ideal client is and how you can get your message to your ideal client, so where they hang out and, and how you can get your message out there to them. And then how you can actually position yourself as the expert in your field that you are and get them to see that value that you add and, and win the business. And also win the business or level a price point that is fitting for you. Because so many people are either undercharging or finding, and this comes up a lot in, in the creative world, people feel like they're being asked to do work for free and they're always being asked for discounts. And I've actually found some really good ways for my clients to manage that and position themselves as a really valued and trusted expert and reduce the amount of times that they're asked for discounts. So that's what's going to be covered in, in that seven-day course. And like I say, it is aimed at graphic designers, but it's very relevant to lots of people, particularly people in the creative industries. Um, I haven't finalised the date for that, but it is going to be in the next two weeks. So um, if people follow me on social media, or come on my website, inspirential.com, they'll be able to sign up for that, and they'll get all the details of uh, when to come on Periscope. We'll even get the links to download the app and so on, because I know it's quite new and not everyone's using it yet. But it's a really fun platform, Periscope, so that's why I decided to do it on that platform. Work should definitely be fun. So yeah, that's something that if people want to see a bit more about what I do and benefit from some of what I'm teaching, then that would be the way to do it. So I have my website, which is inspirential.com. Inspirential is a mashup of inspiring potential, because that's what I like to do. So just I'm just spelled as you would expect. Inspirential.com is my website. And I like to get out there on lots of different social media channels. So I am on Twitter at one Laura Lucas. I'm absolutely loving Periscope right now, which I'm also on Periscope at one Laura Lucas. Periscope's the new Twitter live streaming app. And I'm on Facebook as well, Facebook slash one Laura Lucas. So everywhere I'm one Laura Lucas because there's only one Laura Lucas. I really must say a huge thank you to Laura for coming on board with 99% Perspiration this week. Um, Hopefully you get some good advice from Laura. And um, if you're interested in finding out more about the upcoming graphic design courses she'll be doing on Periscope or finding out more about Inspirential, then just head to inspirential.com or follow Laura on Twitter at OneLauraLucas. Now, if you're an aspiring novel writer, hopefully our next guest, Alan Parkinson, will have some good advice in store for you. It's hard. I think you have to treat it as another job. You have to make sure that your friends and family accept it's another job as well, that it's not just some hobby like sitting watching the football on on Sky. You you know, you, you have to find time and say right from you know, I come in at five o'clock at night, from five till seven, I'm going to sit and I'm going to write and I'm going to write 2000 words. You have to treat it like that or you won't get anything done. You have to lock yourself away, uh, 
have an office or you know somewhere where you write it's it's nice to do it on i've done some of the best stuff i've done for this book when i've been on holiday and sat relaxing on a balcony with a beer that's great you don't really get the luxury of doing that all of the time so at work you're still thinking about it but uh i have resisted the having it the word document on my pc at work because you'd be tempted to dip in and out of it so i think there is some uh some stats somewhere from it circles that when people leave a company that's sort of 50 percent of them have an unfinished novel on their works pcs or i'm not sure of the figures but it's something like that where there's people that sort of get bored and then they just sit there and and i do i do subscribe to the thing that everybody does have a book in them not everybody is great at getting it down on the page but everybody has an interesting story to tell so you know i think everybody could write a book it's just having the time and the you know and the desire to do it really i suppose so what is alan's first book about Legit. i asked alan what readers would find if they picked up a copy of his debut novel Legit. it's about a group of friends growing up in the 80s in sunderland uh they play football do you know the usual adventures that they get up to as children one of the main characters moves away as soon as they leave school at 16 and isn't seen for 15 years and then he returns for a school reunion that's the the sort of plot and it it all sounds very cliched up to that point but the the way it's written it's sort of set over the two time periods so there's a chapter in the 80s and then a chapter in the modern day then the two stories sort of eventually you find out why he's come back and the story unfolds as to you know what he's really up to is he just back for the school you know is, is he got is he got something else that he wants to come back for and the relationships from school trying to find out what his real motivation is and hopefully it all comes together in the end characters who you put in who are only small characters just a little side thing even you know not necessarily a main character in the in the first book become the main character in the second one and you, you don't think about that when you're writing originally but it does happen they get a life of their own. It's, it's a little bit of a punty way of describing writing, but they do they do grow as you, so grow as a writer. I think about my characters all the time. I'm sort of sat on the metro going to work, and I'm thinking, what's this character doing? What, what's that character doing? What would they do in this situation? And blatantly stealing off someone who sat on the metro and think, oh, that could be my character. Just steal a little bit of their personality, a little one of their character traits, and feed it into your characters. But yeah, you do, you're always thinking, you have to, your imagination's always going, and... Actually, writing the words on the page is probably the smallest part of the job of being a writer. It's it's the, the thinking about it and then all the other stuff that comes with it uh, takes up all of your time. I mean, I'm not very good at self-promotion. It's not something that I think probably a lot of writers struggle with. They all think they should just be recognised for being brilliant writers and everybody's going to come to them and you need to, you do need to advertise yourself. I think building up the network and even the Homeside Writers is an excellent one where you go in, there's so many different skills in there and so many different sort of ideas and I've learned a hell of a lot in just a few months I've sort of been in there. Alan certainly understands the importance of finding a network of like-minded people who you can collaborate with and help each other move forward collectively. The group he's talking about is Homeside Writers and back in episode 10 of 99% Perspiration, How Not to Get Ripped Off, you can also hear from Ian Rowan who facilitates the Homeside Writers group. But here's why Alan loves it and why we suggest you should seek out a group of people making similar projects that dovetail your own creative interests. It's the mix of people, the mix of skills and the fact that everybody's very down to earth. There's no, there's no egos 
or the ego you know we've all got a bit of an ego but i think it's well sort of managed in the group i think everybody sort of genuinely wants to help each other and i did have a bit of a preconception before i went where what a writing group was and it would be lots of old women talking about you know sort of the history of sunland and you know when they used to work up chimneys etc but when i actually got there and found the group were just perfectly normal people and uh and you know a really good bunch as well i fitted in straight away i didn't really know what the rules were or anything but they were quite kind with us and never uh they weren't sort of harsh with me critics were the wrong style or anything but and now i've got another habit of it and like i say i'm learning a lot from various people i think it's not so much finding the time i think i i always have the time i think it's finding the motivation when you come in from a tiring day at work all the stresses are going during the day and you just want to come and switch off so then doing that and thinking right i've got to go to my next job and do another two hours or three hours whatever it is very difficult but nobody's going to do it for you so you've got to sit down and do it and i think again going back to home side right they basically gave me the kick with the backside to get on with it and a little bit of inspiration and you need to find little sparks little sort of tools to get you to keep you motivated and and it's the same keeping people motivated in the workplace you you know we talk about this all the time at work how do you motivate people how do you keep the morale up and you have to find ways of doing it but you're motivating yourself there's lots of tricks you, you trick yourself basically in there i find it similar to running an exercise i hate the idea of doing it once i've started i don't mind doing it and once i'm finished i'm really you know overjoyed that i did it but it's the going through the, that process putting me short once me shorter i think right i know i'm doing it so with writing it's once I'm sort of sat down at my PC or my laptop, maybe stick my headphones or anything, then I know I'm going to write something. But there's lots of little tricks to, to keep you going. When I first applied for the redundancy where I was working and they were a little bit reluctant to let me go and I had to, I was had to do some creative writing to get myself out of there. And my manager at the time said, I don't doubt you can write a very good book. I doubt you'll be able to publish it. And it wasn't a criticism as such, but he just, he knew the work that was involved and he knew that I wasn't very good at sort of selling myself or I wouldn't, he knew I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to go out to agents and publishers and try and get published. So this was, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So self-publishing was only available through the sort of vanity publishing thing where you paid someone thousands of pounds and you know I was never going to go down that route so when I wrote Leggett I did send it off to a few agents got some very nice rejection letters which I still have and uh, quite proud of them actually and then I just left it at that I thought well I've written it a couple of friends had read it and enjoyed it and it was sort of enough for me I was never in it to make money I just thought I could write a book I wrote a book some people enjoyed it great I was happy this is very corny this but I was a uh, sat getting my hair cut and I was reading a magazine when I was getting my hair cut and I read something about uh, the Kindle direct publishing. So at that stage I had, didn't have a Kindle, I was a, one of these sort of, I prefer paperbacks, I, you know, I, I like the feel of the book and, you know, and I was very snobby about reading and I love having a bookshelf full of, full of books. But I read about this and I thought, you know, as we are self-publishing, which is free, uh, gets it out there. I'll give it a go. I rushed into it, made loads of mistakes. So uh, hopefully I've learned from them. 
if I'd sort of thought it through, if I'd got advice beforehand, there's lots of things, so just little typos in the editing and stuff, if I'd got somebody to proofread it and, you know, I just wanted to get it out there and rushed it out and publicity and things like that. I never thought of it, I'd just put it out there. And it, it sold quite a bit when I first started by my standards. So I was never going to make money. I never priced it to make money. But then once I started seeing other things that were self-published and when I bought a Kindle, I was going through and looking for books that I would buy. I see, I don't judge a book by its cover, but I do. I do every time. Uh, if it looks professional, then I'm more likely to look. If it looks unprofessional, I don't. My cover was... I got my brother to do, to make it a, the first one a little bit better for the Kindle. But, you know, it's... It was done in Photoshop, he you know, he did his best job and it was quite good. Now I've realised that it would have been worth spending a little bit of money getting somebody because I'd never intended to make money, I didn't think I I didn't think about investing money in it. But now I haven't gone out to some big graphic design company to make me cover, but what I have done is use someone who's keen to get into graphic design. He's done a few little piece and bits and pieces, a few flyers. I've had a look at his work, very impressed with it. He's a decent lad who I know very well, so I'd rather give him a you know a few quid to do it, and then it's boosting his portfolio and sort of mine actually looks professional. But uh, so we work on that on the cover. The sort of Amazon is a is a great selling tool, but this you know the blurb that you put on there has to be good, has to be professional. You can have an author profile on there, which I have got now, but I didn't have originally. And there's all these things that you can build up and hopefully I've learned from from what I did. But that was for the Kindle element. But there's also the paperback, which again, it was previously, it was uh, Vanity Publishing. But now you can do it via Amazon, but I did it through something called lulu.com. The first day that you get your first paperback through the post and that's it's something special so you know even if that's the only copy that's ever sold is the one that you buy it's worth doing it's worth just having that i tend to use the paperbacks for promotional material more than anything else giving people free copies or signed copies even bizarrely people occasionally ask for autographs but uh which is a bit strange they charge based on how many pages there are and the size of the pages and and to keep it at a reasonable cost you're not going to make any profit they, they do i don't mind so much some people might but once you start you'd have to be charging seven or eight pounds to make a decent profit and you know my book's good whether it's worth seven or eight pounds i'm not sure it's uh but it's 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 an interesting process an interesting journey and the market's getting quite crowded now so you almost have to find out how you become better at marketing yourself uh how you just look more professional basically so i think that's the lesson to learn is how you become professional and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but you do have to use other resources. You can't do it all on your own. Uh, I obviously can't design book covers. Editing, I'll do a lot of editing on my own, but I do need help with others to tell me what I've missed. So I do have trusted friends who are doing that at the minute. But then I've got all the homeside writers there who, in there who I could use. And, you know, it's... Uh, you know, you should thank people with a bottle of wine or something, but, uh, but you don't have to... You know, people, I think with Leggett, I had someone who left a five-star review on Amazon. It was great. And then she sent a follow-up email with lots of advice about how it could be better. And it was, and you could, you know, some people might be offended about that. I wasn't at all. I was, you know, really grateful for it. So I have asked her 
would you mind sort of reading through the new one once I've got to the sort of almost the final draft get her to read through it because I know she will pick up on things that everybody else has missed and and then I don't know it's just someone who's sort of been happy enough to help out so it's it's great that people are willing to do that for you. A huge thank you to both of our interviewees this week, to Laura Lucas from Inspirential, and to Alan Parkinson, author of Legit. If you're interested in finding out more about our guests, you can head to inspirential.com or follow Laura on Twitter at one Laura Lucas. And for Alan, you can search for his book Legit on Amazon. And the music on 99% this week comes from John Carl Toth. He is a fantastic audio producer. And you can find him online by heading to his website, which is ReverbNation.com forward slash J-O-H-N-I-E forward slash songs. Honestly, he's a fantastic audio producer and I definitely recommend you check him out. Thank you so much for joining us on episode 16 of 99% Perspiration. As usual, if you have any feedback for us at all, please do head to our Twitter at 99podcast or join us on the Facebook group. Just search for 99% Perspiration. And until next time... Stay productive, stay awesome.